Welcome to the Building Bridges podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Niebergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith transition can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature both perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building! Hey, Bridge Builders, Taylor here, your host, hostess with the mostest. I'm excited because this is a really, really wonderful podcast episode, and I was just debating on what I was going to call it. I think I'm just going to call it the special bonus episode with David and Emily. But one of my ideas as what I could call this is reasons people leave, which I thought could be a turnoff for some people to want to listen to it. But um, And anyway, I'm just I'm hopping on to say that this is a really impactful topic this this episode and so if you don't listen to any of my episodes I hope you listen to this one and if you've been hesitant about sharing this episode with a family member or this episode if you've been hesitant about sharing this podcast with a family member or a friend maybe just start with this one if you don't listen to anything but this one I think I will just be so happy because it's amazing and um, I also want to ask hey if you've been a pretty interested and invested follower lately and haven't left a review if you want to do that for me please I would be really grateful it really does help people find the podcast and it helps you know the word to spread so consider leaving a review and that will help and I don't really ever get on and ask this because it kind of seems weird because I say it in the outro but I'm saying it here because we recently got a large increase in following and my latest reviews were left after like the first three episodes. So it's been a long time since anyone's even thought about it. And I know that there are more and more people out there that really could benefit from hearing the podcast. Um, Another disclaimer I want to throw in here at the beginning is Emily and I were lucky enough to be able to conduct this interview in my home. And we're also lucky to have wonderful spouses and a plethora of delightful children. (laughs) Altogether, we have four all under the age of four. And You may or may not hear a little bit of crying or crashing or toy thrashing in the background of this episode, and that is because life is real and it happens. So with no further ado, please sit back and really soak this all in. It's a great episode, and I'm so glad that you're here to listen. Hey, Bridge Builders. It's so great to have you guys. Today, dreams are coming true because I'm here with my great friend, Emily Salisbury. And Emily and I together are going to help interview an amazing man that I hope all of you know, because it's David Osler, you guys, the writer of the Bridges book, Bridges. And quite honestly, David's work is what inspired this entire podcast. So it's a special day. So David, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. It's like I said, dreams are coming true. And Emily, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about our relationship and how, because of David's work, we are doing this podcast today. Yeah. So I've been on a couple of times with Taylor in the past and, uh, back in 2020, uh, was a point where I had gone, I was going through a faith crisis and reconnected with Taylor in that, um, in that process. 
And through our conversations um, and through learning from each other and trying to reconnect, well, I was starting to believe differently and starting to question some things that I had previously held. Um, it was through that process that was born this beautiful podcast because Taylor had decided that, you know, she, she felt very passionate about, you know what, there are some misunderstandings that are being had, um, on either side of that, uh, of that bridge between people who believe in the church, people who believe, or rather I should say, um, active believing members in the church and people who have questioned or who have left the church. And so it's through that, that, that we decided, Hey, you know what, we need to have these conversations. And at that point I handed Taylor, uh, this book bridges that, uh, that David Osler wrote. And that was something that really helped me as well as helped her. Uh, at least I assume it did. Yeah. I don't want to speak for you, <laughs> no, but <laughs> very influential. <laughs> and just to have some guidance of how to, how to rebuild in a sense, uh, our relationships with people after a shift like that happens. So yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's it. it. That's it. And we definitely want to have you say a few things about this process for you, David, can you tell us all about your story. I hope that was an okay introduction. Um, if, if there's anything we missed that you want to add, David. Well, I'd just like to compliment both of you for trying to do this. Um, you know, I, I saw kind of the same things that you two saw and I wrote a book, but I've not been courageous enough or disciplined enough to write a podcast, to do a podcast and to kind of regularly enter this space and try and make a difference. And, um, I, you know, I really, um, appreciate your efforts to do this. So um, thank you. And uh, I know your audience enjoys you and the way you talk about things. I've listened to a number of your episodes and, and just am excited how you are approaching these kinds of issues. So, so thank you. It's mutual admiration um, for me to be able to be here and talk with both of you. So wow. thanks, you're kind. That is high praise and you've probably inflated my ego a little too much. So um, we're really, really impressed with your discipline. Um, I'm not doing too much. It's very, very casual on this end. So just want to talk more about you. So tell us a little bit about your story of the, uh, the calling that you had that led to all those surveys and how that influenced you writing your book, basically how oh. all of this came to be just your story. So. My wife and I, uh, we've served a couple of full-time missions together. And after we came back from our second one, we were uh, up at the Hill Camorra uh, Visitor Center and we were the site directors there. So we were responsible for all the missionary work that happened, um, you know, at the Joseph Smith home and Hill Camorra, those kinds of places. And uh, after we came home, our stake asked us to be church service missionaries in our stake. And the assignment that they gave to us was to reach out to the singles that were non-attending. And um, in our stake, we had about a thousand of those. I live in Northern Virginia. Um, some of those people clearly don't live there anymore, but a lot of them still do. And um, we don't lack leadership in our area, 
So we weren't really asked to be like super home and visiting teachers. That was the program back then. We were really, they weren't sure what they wanted to do with us. So we said, why don't we go out and ask them why they don't come to church? You know, what, maybe we could learn something from that and that that would be helpful for us. So we sent letters um, to all of the, uh, the people kind of in that group and said, we'd like to meet with you in a focus group or have you take a survey or you can call us or we'll go to lunch with you or, you know, whatever you would like. We are sincere in terms of wanting to understand why um, you don't attend. We, we don't use the word less active. That's not the terminology we chose to use. They, um, or unbelievers, we mm -hmm. don't know anything about their belief. We don't mm -hmm. know anything about why they attend or don't attend. And so we, we did that. And we had a number of, of responses. There were some that said, why are you contacting us? We told you to go away, you know, leave us alone. We told you that repeatedly. And then we had some really meaningful and insightful conversations with another bunch of people individually, largely, that wanted to talk and tell their story and tell, um, you know, why they weren't there. And there were a wide variety of reasons. Um, and so that kind of uh, was the first kind of systematic way that we jumped into uh, understanding why people don't attend. Um, uh, I'm retired, so I spent a lot of time kind of understanding what data is out there that tells us why people don't attend. And what we found pretty quickly is that the leaders in our stake and in the church generally um, have um, simplistic notions of why people uh, stop attending, no longer believe, whatever their journey is, that they would often reduce that to simplistic explanations that didn't, real, didn't identify the complexity and the intensity uh -huh. that uh, people can feel there. So we realized at that point that we really needed to focus more on leadership and helping leadership understand, because, you know, we all know this. If, if you think A is the reason why uh, Bill isn't attending church and you go to them and it has nothing to do with A, you're not going to have a meaningful conversation, particularly if you don't ask questions and you don't listen and all that other yep. kind of relationship building stuff. So we at that point, we knew that um, we had a different kind of issue. So that's what we focused on. And ultimately, that work led to uh, Bridges being published maybe three years ago. And was it um, the same leadership that asked you to do the surveys that asked you to write the book? Or did you say, I'm going to make a book out of this? <laughs> so um, when we went into leadership meetings and talked, we usually would get 15 or 20 minutes to talk. And so we were um, trying to be able to reduce the information where someone holds a belief about why people leave and to kind of correct that in a very short period of time mm. and help them have understanding on that. And we realized as we went into that, that um, it, it's really hard to understand um, the real reasons why a large group of people uh, disaffiliate from the church and to give that in a 15 minute conversation complete with questions and each individually having their own understanding. And so at one point, you know, I said to our stake president and advisor, I just need to write a book on this. And it was kind of in joke. And then it became 
you know, something that um, I, I realized actually was the right answer because it's not a simple topic. Uh, it's complex. It's very personal to the people who feel that they can't stay in the church anymore. And to reduce that to a PowerPoint slide, you know, 10 PowerPoint slides that you convey in a stake leadership meeting or something like that, you never get to the dimensions uh, mm -hmm. of the challenge. And so um, that led to the book and it was published. Um, I think we were released at that point um, from our calling. We served the full term, but um, we were released from the calling by the time the book came out. Well, I would say that you do an excellent job in introducing the complexity of the issue within the book. Um, you know, and that comes, that comes to light at several points in the book. Um, but, uh, but I love hearing the little, just the little snippets that you put in, uh, from the survey itself for, you know, whenever there was a space in the survey, just to let people write free form, whatever their thoughts were. And just to hear just the, the many different responses and the variety of responses that you got from that survey. Yes, there were trends in certain directions. Yes, there were people like specifically who um, were really concerned about social justice issues. And there were, you know, certain trends this way or that way. But but overall, you like you said, it's a it was a it's a very personal and intimate process that each of these people have gone through and to and to write a book on that <laughs> that's that's a huge undertaking i don't write books so for me you know it wasn't natural but um i i felt like um there were a number of people that kind of honored me with complete stories um i know one of these stories i i use her name in the book as amanda um and Amanda, um, you know, poured her heart out to me. And uh, she told me things that, you know, she's never told anyone before about her faith journey. And um, there were a lot of tears because this is really personal and um, kind of connects to fabric of her and her relationship to God and family and spouse and, you know, very, um, um, intense kind of feelings and it was either her or another person I interviewed and and they said you know thank you no one has ever asked I haven't ever been able to tell the story yeah. so mm -hmm. you know much of the power of the book isn't by me as a writer but it's by those comments and those stories that help you know these are real people this is what they're really feeling and really experiencing and I think generally in the church, um, even some of our most kind of truculent and uh, adamant leaders, um, you know, they deeply love people. And so when they hear these stories, it does burrow into their heart and they feel what I felt. Um, and, and um, you know, some of those little snippet comments, I never met those people. So I don't know who they are, but I remember one was a woman who said at my job, I'm a CEO and I have power and I have um, voice and I'm able to make decisions. And at church, I am a nobody and no one listens to me. I have no power. And then there was a gay man who res responded and said, it's not safe for me to go to church as a gay man. Mm 
So, you know, you, you get a flavor of it and it's not everyone that has those kinds of intense feelings that steps away from the church, but a number do, a lot do. I, I just want to again point to the way that you really are emphasizing ministering to the individual. And it's not just data, like you're saying, but each person is so different. And I want to hearken back to something from your book where you, you kind of focused a little bit about what the church leadership thinks that they know um, and how that didn't correlate nearly at all with what you found from the surveys and how maybe just as average people, we can do a better job getting to know the real person, getting to know the real story, and maybe helping to dismantle some of those automatic assumptions of like, oh, I think it's A. You know, why is it that we have those assumptions in your opinion? And how can we be a better empathizer? So I think it is natural as humans to come to simple, explainable reasons for things that are complex. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I think this is about the church or anything. I think we see it with any sort of divisive issue in society might be COVID vaccinations, or it might be the 2020 election, or it might be for some people, it's the moon landing. And, you know, we create reasons why something that someone can see as being unfortunate and can put simplistic reasons there to make it understandable to us or to explain it away. Mm -hmm. So, the, the survey that I did, uh, I think it's maybe worth just touching on it a little bit. I did a survey of um, people who serve in leadership callings in um, ward councils. And I think I had about 500 people respond to that. It's not a scientific survey, so it's not demographically adjusted and all of that. But, but of those 500 that responded, so it's a pretty good number, and they're all in North America, their reasons why people leave the church are largely because they're sinning, because they've been offended, or because they're lazy. And then when you ask um, another group of people, uh, I have a group of people that have been in a faith, that are in a faith crisis when they answer the survey, and those aren't their reasons. Mm-hmm. Their reasons are different. And so when one group thinks that it is the fault of the person in a faith crisis because they've sinned or they're lazy or they've offended. And the person who's in that faith crisis is looking at other issues that are substantial and very important to them. There's not a connect. So if leaders could understand and honor these issues as being legitimate and learn the language to be able to talk about them and then to learn ways to respond to them, there would be far less pain felt by a person in a faith crisis. They'd feel less alone. They'd feel less untrusting of the church. They'd feel more like they would be able to belong. And they they still might not be able to stay, I think would be able to stay, but maybe not all. Um, but there would be um, less damage in wards, in families, and in our communities, really with a person that's in the crisis. Oh, you said that so well, David. Yeah. So well. So you talked a little bit about the um, the reasons why church leaders assumed that people were leaving the church. Can you talk a little bit about people who were having faith crises, what they reported, like what were the reasons and yeah. how did that differ? So if you go to, there's a survey that was done by Jana Reese. She published it in a book called The Next Mormons. 
was probably published in 2017, maybe 18, somewhere in there. And she asked, so this is a scientific survey, so this is statistically valid. And the number one reason why people leave is that um, the, their values didn't match the values of the church. I not, might not be wording that exactly right. Um, it's hard to dig into that. So in my survey work, I asked about specific common issues that people articulate as being that value disconnect. And there's really um, kind of four of them, I think, if I can remember. One is um, the concern about the church's policy around queer people, um, its doctrine, its policy, whatever you want to say, or simply the, the culture we have towards LGBTQ individuals. So that's, that's an issue for uh, a lot of people. The second would be uh, gender roles and how um, men and women have different roles within the church, different input in decision-making, different aspects of participation and the like. Um, that's a significant one. That's felt more by women than it is by men, shockingly. Um, the third area would be um, issues of church history where um, aspects of uh, uh, our past um, haven't been understood by people. And when they learn about them, they either feel betrayed or they can't trust, or they no longer can believe in the truth claims because of those issues. Um, and so they, um, they lose faith. Um, they say, I can't believe that. Um, and then I think there's some kind of personal uh, belonging issues, um, you know, whether I feel like I can go to church and be who I am, be authentic, uh, be able to express what's important to me, whether the church um, talks about the issues that spiritually are most important to me or that I long to have. So those are, I think, kind of the big issues, and they all have kind of subcomponents and they play themselves out differently with people. So none of them operate in isolation. They all kind of in some ways touch on each other and relate to each other, belonging and trust and transparency and some of the other issues. I just wanna hear your thoughts on that because I'm talking to Emily. You can't tell, but I just looked to her and said, <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I just like how you said, none of these are in isolation and those are just some of the four major topics. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's something you agree with on that side of the bridge? Oh yeah. That you're represented well here today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do. Okay. I mean, I've, I've felt, uh, to one degree or another, every single one of those things that David just, just discussed. And, um, for me, that's going to be a little bit different than somebody else on how they weigh against each other. But yeah, like they, they are intertwined and, and, um, and so it's, yeah, it, it's not shocking to me, but it would have been shocking to me five years ago mm. where I hadn't had that experience yet. And I, I was, um, very much under the assumption, the same assumptions that many of the church leaders, um, that were surveyed had in that, you know, people who, people who leave are, they've fallen away from the spirit, um, they're being deceived to walk down a different path. They, um, they just, they just want to go party. They just want their coffee. They just want their beer, you know, simplistic, 
uh, undermining mm -hmm. <laughs> these people, um, undermining their decisions and, and the things that they are passionate about and the things that they have really spent a lot of time thinking about. So yeah, yeah, I feel each one of those. I just think that's a great segment and the importance of not reducing a person's experience is exactly what I love about your work, David. And I really believe that that's how Christ would address each person and how I hope that I can be, I want to be better. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my thoughts about that, um, involve Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. She talks about, you know, it's okay to want to help people. I think that sometimes I don't want to say like, oh, those, those people in authority that are just totally dismissive. Cause really you only know what, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's simple and it's easy to get that way. Um, but I think so often like people in the church, we want to help those that leave, but we don't want to actually listen to like, oh, that's an issue for you because that's so scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, or we want to help from a distance, but you know, Brene Brown, she talked about the importance of sitting in the darkness together. And, you know, I think that is what actually takes the courage and takes the charity to go and sit and say, Hey, what are the issues for you? How are your feelings about this? Instead of assuming I bet you just want to not wear your garments anymore, or I bet you just, just wanted to have that coffee. So Taylor, I'd be interested in hearing, um, what your reaction was like in the, in the instance that I was telling you, Hey, I, I don't believe the same things that I used to believe. And I just love to hear what were your initial reactions and, how do you look back on those reactions and just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I like to, I love that you bring that up because I like to look at my old self with some grace because I think that a lot of the people listening to the podcast are in that position where they're, they're going, like I said, gee, what did Emily do wrong? And how can I make sure that I don't do whatever it is that happened to her? <laughs> because um, I just want to say that's a fear-based response and fear is not useful. So I, I was a little bit afraid and in, in, in asking really the hard questions. And I, I, I did have a place of love. I think that there were still assumptions. I remember asking like, did you stop reading your scriptures every day? And I didn't even mean it to sound like clearly this is the solution, but I think that's probably maybe how you had received it. Like Emily, why didn't you just read your scriptures every day? You know, which wasn't at all what I meant, but I was genuinely thinking, gee, Maybe it was that, okay, I could just make sure if I do that, then I'll be good, you know? Um, and I, I think that it's okay to be curious and it's okay to ask questions. And I'm grateful that I did and that Emily was gracious with me so that I could have a chance to connect better and connect further instead of just say, gee, Taylor, yes. And it's, it's more than that. Like you don't understand me and just, you know, get huffy, but Emily was patient mm -hmm. with me and I was, I think patient with you. And we just tried to really listen to each other. Well, and I think it's, it's really important in those instances and what is demonstrated by the survey that you've done, um, David, is that it's not a, it's not just a, a you thing or a me thing. It's an, it's an us thing. There's a very obvious and apparent gap between the understanding of, um, of people who have left the church and what is actual reality. And I don't know, do you have any ideas, uh, David, about any 
reasons why that gap might have been there in the first place and why do we have to work so hard now to to reconnect and and reground ourselves you know i um when i wrote this book we were studying the doctrine and covenants in church history um in sunday school and um i remember uh, a lesson where i think simon Ryder's name was misspelled in a revelation. Do you remember this part of the lesson? Mm -hmm. And um, in that lesson, I think it was Simon Ryder and Thomas Marsh. And there was a third one. It's not coming to me. But these are three people that left the church. And the way it was taught in my ward, and I think it's taught this way often, is it's skimmed cream. It's misspelled name. And I think it's a wrong calling or some other third thing. And so these are, you know, people that leave and become critics of the church and they're leaving for inconsequential reasons. And so I think we kind of get primed with stories like that and think, uh, yeah, that's got to be why Bill left, you know, um, not sure what happened, but, you know, clearly it's his fault, just like it is Simon Ryder's fault. Hmm. And, um, and um, so I think we kind of get primed that way. And again, I think it's just a natural part of being a human is to be able to um, put reasons on things that are hard or traumatic or whatever. And when a friend leaves the church, that's one of those. And so we, our minds naturally fill in a reason why that's the case. Yeah. Uh, and it has to fit kind of with the paradigm that we currently hold. And if we have a paradigm that basically says anyone who studies the church and gains testimony and does the right things, they will always have a testimony and always be active. And we have to invent a narrative that's different than that. Wow. That was so good. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly kind of what my approach was at the beginning is that was my paradigm. Like, well, if you, if you do this and this and this, then you're going to stay. So what did you not do? You know, um, and you're talking about the, the natural simplistic approach that we're prone to take and, you know, it's the easy way and it's, it's hard to really train yourself. And I'm not saying that just because I've done this podcast that now I can do it because it's still a, a struggle, you know, every day, every new experience, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I still need to work on this. Um, just like, um, I don't know. Brene Brown said, you know, you got to sit and ask and, and really empathize and, and know what they're going through. And I feel like I still sometimes would rather help from a distance and be like, Hey, I see you're down in that pit in the darkness. Hope you can get out. Maybe you should try this, you know, prescribing things. And I think what I want to do is step away from the, I'm going to prescribe how to help you from a distance and just climb in that hole and try and take their hand and walk with them. Um, that's really the solution I want to find myself at. And I just want to point out how it is so not the natural uh, solution. You don't want to naturally do it. it. It takes a lot of effort mentally to even recognize. Well, it's the harder answer. Yeah, right. it's harder. <laughs> it's much easier to just prescribe from a distance, right? And it's much easier to put things in very distinct categories I mean, I think about how it's so natural for us to do that because, I mean, it 
that's that is a developmental stage that we all go through when we're children. Mm. It's an important milestone to learn how to categorize things, how to organize things. And you talk about this, David, in your book. Um, it really stood out to me. Uh, you talk about how, yeah, like that is an important thing for us to learn. And sometimes we tend to apply it to things that it shouldn't be applied to, right? And our and our natural woman or natural <laughs> man in that sense tries to put things um, in boxes and be like, yep, they they left. And so A, B, and C, they stay. So A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. But it's dangerous. It's just not very accurate. It's mostly inaccurate, <laughs> I would say. And from your survey as well. So I had a question about some of the stats you came up with, David, in your book. When you were sending out the survey for local church leaders, there's a point in the survey that I just thought was fascinating. And I was wondering about your thoughts behind it. So I'll just read some of the questions and, and then. Like fill us in fill. who can't visually see. Yeah, exactly. Just data fill, in, in fill in the data. Yeah. So there are four different questions. Um, the first one says the church as a whole provides adequate information for leaders to help people who are in a faith crisis. And that was pretty split, but the majority of the people um, said that they agree that the church provides adequate information for leaders to help people who are who are in a faith crisis. The next one says the our our stake in ward provides training to leaders about faith crisis crises, and the majority of people said no, like the the stake in the ward are not providing trainings to know how to help these people. And then it goes on to say, I feel that I can effectively help a person who is having a faith crisis. And that to me was really interesting. Again, it's pretty split, but the majority of people say, yeah, I feel confident that I can effectively help somebody who is in a faith crisis. I thought that was fascinating. And I was a little bit shocked by that, that, that contrast in the, in the data that you collected, do you have any insights or, or any thoughts behind that information that you collected? Well, I do have some thoughts. Um, I asked these same questions to people in a faith crisis. I'm thumbing through the book to see if I can find it. I'm not sure I can find it real quickly, but um, members in a faith crisis um, have no confidence that local leaders can help them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the numbers were, but was it less than 5%? Yeah, so the church leader survey is on page 13, and then 14 is the same survey that was sent to um, people going through a faith crisis. So the people in a faith crisis, 0.3% said they strongly agreed that their ward leaders could help them. And then 3.8% said they strong or they agree that their ward leaders can help them. So it was 4.1% said had some agreement that their ward leaders could help them. And I think it kind of goes back, at least that question, we can talk about the other two in a minute. But I think it goes back to if ward leaders think people leave because they're sinning, they're offended, or they're lazy, Ward leaders have some confidence that they can address those things. Mm-hmm. When 
people in a faith crisis think that the, the if they can identify what their reason for being a faith crisis and it has nothing to do with those things and they know what that that leader is going to tell them to do they say nah that leader has no idea i really um, have no confidence they'd really be able to help me with this so there's that disconnect i think there's also uh, i know one of your shows you talked about bias and how sometimes our minds kind of think things that aren't true. One of those biases is called a competency bias. And what that means is that we think we're actually more competent in an area than we are. And um, I, um, I, I think that's common in life generally. And I don't think that that would not enter into our chapel doors and into the doors where we meet with leaders and talk about concerns. So I think leaders might have a natural tendency to overestimate their competency to address these kinds of issues. And that's why you have to ask people and not ask the leaders whether they think they're, they're competent on that. Mm-hmm. Can I say something about the competency bias? There's something called the Dunn-Kruger effect. And basically it means like my level of confidence for something that I don't know about starts at zero. You know, my information is zero and my competence is zero. And then you get like a tiny bit of information and your competence is like, oh yeah, I know everything about this now because you know a little bit. And then when you actually know more and more and more, the less competence you have realizing that there's so much more to be learned. And so, you know, just a warning for all of the listeners that think that like, oh, because I subscribe to this podcast, clearly I can help anyone in the faith transition now. Um, you know, I my, myself, I am guilty. Like there's still so much to be learned in recognizing we're not very competent because uh, we think we know a lot when really there's so much still to be learned. So it's important to continue to have an attitude of learning and of listening in order to gain some of that competency and that experience over time. So I don't know. That's my two cents on that. I think it's good two cents. I'm going to cash that check if you send up my way. <laughs> I, um, I, you know, personally, and I don't usually talk about myself personally, but this might just be a place where I would do that. I, um, as I've moved through some of this information, I um, realized that I know less than I thought I knew. And, uh, you know, I've been a bishop and a stake president, mission president, and I look back on those moments where I was that person in the room experiencing, you know, competency bias and believing that I had answers for that. And, you know, now I, when I'm in those rooms, I don't have those callings anymore, but, you know, it's just hold hands and cry with someone. That's really my best um, way of uh, suspending my certainty about what they're feeling and allowing them to um, express the intensity and the difficulty that they are finding faith or the implications for them in their life. So I think we need to learn how to say the simple phrase, I don't know, and be comfortable with that. And if we think we're an authority figure because we're a parent or just think because we're a believer, we're one of those, I think it really is helpful to be able to practice that in a mirror because it's sometimes really hard to say. I don't know. Absolutely. And, and talk about that, like that, 
maybe the privilege that comes with being an older man who's held callings, you know, some of that credibility that automatically comes. Um, talk about how you've navigated, you know, that credibility, how you've used it to reach people. Has there been more acceptance or more pushback because of that? Well, you know, I, I simply put the book out there because I had some privilege. I am a man. I hold the priesthood. I've served in priesthood leadership callings. And um, sometimes people will only listen to people like me or people who've had more experience in the church than people like me. And I think it's incumbent upon uh, people that see the issue to be able to take whatever privilege or opportunity they have to be able to act in some way, uh, particularly if it is healing or helpful or comforting um, to people who feel betrayed or hurt or damaged or um, misunderstood. So um, I think we have that responsibility and it's, it's one that, you know, I've taken seriously. Um, some people are really uncomfortable with this topic and um, they're uncomfortable with a book like I published. It's sold at Deseret Book, but there are some um, in my sphere that just even with the way I've approached it, where it's sold, my past leadership experience, they simply are uncomfortable exploring this area in any sort of way. What are your feelings towards um, that discomfort? I think I have to honor that. I think I have to, to say there's something about that person that um, uh, is legitimate, that causes them to be, maybe it comes from fear. Maybe, you know, there's other emotions that I don't know. Um, I think I would, if I had a, a relationship with them, I would want to have a conversation to try and understand why they feel that way. Maybe that's not possible for them to express because we value certainty in the church. You know, all of our testimonies are, I know, but, you know, it's faith. It's not belief. It's not certainty. It's hope. It's um, connection. It's glimmers. It's, you know, all of the aspects that we experience in the church around spirituality are less than absolute certainty, yet um, our language and our culture is certainty-based. Mm -hmm. And so if you have this conversation with someone who has certainty, they hold on to that for reasons. Again, there might be fear, but there might be other cultural reasons why they're uncomfortable to say, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure on this you know, um, here's what I think. What do you think? And to have that conversation, it's just hard. Yeah. That, wow. <laughs> that's so insightful. I think that's really, really great. Thank you. That's just terrific. Um, cause yeah, you want to, you want to honor that and you want to, I just think you did a really good job exploring what could be at play and let's do the same thing instead of assuming what could be, let's just go ask them if you've got the relationship for that. And mm -hmm. yeah, that was really good. Yeah. In a way it's applying the exact same things that you talked about in your book, just in the direction of the people who are uncomfortable even talking about it in the first place. It's the same stuff, right? It's empathizing, it's listening, 
It's trying to understand and asking questions. And maybe, just maybe, they maybe they know. Maybe they know the reasons why they don't want to talk about it. And maybe they don't. And maybe it's something that they'd never even thought explored about. or thought about. Yeah. And, you know, I would hope that through conversations like that, um, no matter where somebody stands in the church and um, or out of the church, like that we just as humans can grow, that we can become better, that that we don't have to think so much about categorizing ourselves into certain boxes or certain groups that we can just see someone and be like, yeah, that that's hard. That's hard. I can empathize with that. I can try to understand you. Maybe I don't think about it the same way that you do, but I want to try to understand you. So yeah, it goes all directions, man. Yeah. Oh, you guys are so empathetic and good stepping away from certainty. That's hard. Just, I love the empathy that you're just um, your examples. You guys are so good at walking the walk that I'm talking. <laughs> and I should walk it too. You oh, know Taylor, what I'm saying? Taylor, <laughs> you give yourself awesome. some credit here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I really feel like we've said so many good things that I want to give each of you an opportunity to just have any concluding thoughts, because personally, I feel like, I mean, I have more notes, but I feel like we've really just said everything that I wanted to get out. So um, how about I, I give it to you, Emily, for your concluding thoughts and then if you have a question or whatever, we can carry on with that. And then when you were done with that, let's let David finish the concluding thoughts for us, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot more thoughts. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot of what I was hoping to talk about today. And more than anything, I'm just grateful to have the conversation. I'm grateful to you, David, for coming on and and for being the person that was willing to sit down and listen to so many people and to really let them be seen. I can empathize with those people uh, for reasons that I still am hoping, I'm still hoping to have conversations like that with some of my family members who I feel disconnected from um, ever since my, my faith transition. And to, so I see, I see the value that it must've had in those people's lives to like you said, like you were talking about Amanda, um, in your book who just basically said, yeah, no one's done this before. No one has asked me, well, what do you believe now? And how does that feel? And how is that process for you? Um, here's to, here's to hoping for more conversations like that. Mm. Thank you. Both of you for, um, the work you're doing. I, I just have two thoughts. So um, one thought is, since I wrote the book, I realized I missed an important section. And so um, I recently released uh, another chapter in the book that deals with the implications for faith disaffiliations, faith reconstructions, whatever term you want to say, on families. And um, that's kind of ground zero for the relationship. If a, a wife goes to her husband and says, you know, I don't believe there's, that can be a nuclear bomb that can um, destroy a marriage, a family. It doesn't need to be, but um, it often is such um, a stark change in life hopes that um, it becomes 
um, very difficult for both parties, particularly if that person is in the middle of a transition, a faith transition, and is not yet certain on all the implications of what that means for their lives. So it's an ongoing trauma to a marriage. So I wrote that. Uh, I also included in that um, how moms and dads or brothers and sisters think about that if, if another member of their family has left the church and how just some tips on how to deal with that. So that's, that's one thought. Um, uh, the second thought is that um, what we're experiencing with regards to the dynamics of communication, assumptions of um, kind of divisiveness that we feel with this regarding our religion are the same issues that we face in all aspects of our life. It's, there's a lot of reasons why it is hard to develop relationships and learn to listen to people who have divergent opinions about things that we think are really important. Yep. And um, we have never had the polarization in our country that we have now. Um, it includes um, violence. It includes um, broken and fractured relationships. And they are not the same as what we experience with regards to someone having a faith crisis. But often the skills that are required to navigate the difference when a friend says, I don't believe or leaves the church, if that's the right term, are the same skills that we can use when dealing with people who have different views of what they want in their community, the threats that they feel they face in society, how they want to structure the world going forward and the like. And quite frankly, um, we struggle in the church to have these kinds of conversations, um, whether they're political or religious. Outside of church, we face them too. Both of them are threats to the stability of the organizations and the relationships that we have. And, um, you know, there's no one better at talking about this than, you know, Brene Brown. There's a lot of people that do because there's a lot of people that are really concerned about it. And I would hope that um, our, our love for people who've stepped away or our love for people that are still in and wanting to repair those relationships or strengthen those relationships also helps us learn the skills to be able to have those same kind of productive interactions around topics that seem almost undiscussable. Mm -hmm. David, did you know that I'm a big fan? <laughs> I'm a big fan of you. You just confirmed that to me with that discussion. Um, yeah, I just want people to be a little bit more civil. And I hope that by listening to conversations like this, it can help. And I'm definitely going to include a little Brene Brown um, links in the show notes, along with links to your revised book where people can find that online. And I just want to give you the biggest thank you for having this conversation and thank you for writing the book and making a difference and uh, just doing this work and taking your time out of your day to be with us. Appreciate it so much. Yes. Thank you very much. Very much. Okay. Good to meet you both. Are you feeling enriched? I'm feeling so enriched. Oh my goodness. 
All right, well, you know, it's time for our tidbits and takeaways with Taylor, but I just had to preface that with, are you feeling so enriched? I am. Okay, here are my notes. If leaders can learn and respond to the issues as being legitimate and acknowledging that people have these real issues, uh, David said there would be less pain and less damaged bridges. Um, So I just thought, like, let's expound on that because I think it's important to not... You can do one of two extreme things, I think. You can ignore the problems and say, like, that's not an issue. It's a non, non-issue and pull the, you know, wool over your eyes and pretend it doesn't exist. Or you can focus all your energy on the fact that this is a problem and not do anything about putting any solutions forward. And instead of either of those two extremes, I think we really need to acknowledge those issues and respond to them as being legitimate and help them in any way that you can to get them to progress forward through uh, that hard place. So finding a way to navigate both of those things would be so great. There would be, like David said, less less pain and less damage caused to bridges if those issues could be met and responded to in a helpful way. Okay, so Emily mentioned that David's book honors that it is an important milestone to categorize things. So I thought that was so wonderful and really is a great way to show grace to ourselves. So don't get down on yourself if you put things in boxes or if you simplify things in your mind. Hey, guess what? That's an important milestone that you learned how to do. So way to be a human being. It's fine. I think more often than not, I need to remember to give myself grace. Like, oh yeah, I am human. Hey, that's a good thing. Like, I don't need to be negative about the fact that my brain works and has developed. I can just continue to develop it a little further and continue to do a little bit more complex things with my brain, like recognize that this is not the time to be categorizing things into boxes. Next tidbit, practice looking in the mirror and saying, I don't know. Gosh, when David said that, I thought that was so brilliant. Um, You know, we have to suspend our certainty about knowing what other people on the side of the bridge are feeling. We don't have certainty about what another person is feeling. We don't even always have certainty about what we're feeling. We 100% do not have certainty about what other people are feeling. So, yeah, in the mirror, I don't know. It's not a bad idea to put that into practice. Which leads me to this other little takeaway. I want you guys all to question yourselves. Do I overvalue certainty in the church? And if so, is that taking away opportunities for you to exercise faith? David had a really good little section on that and the way he described glimmers and connection. Oh, it was all just so beautiful. And when you cling to certainty, it really takes away some of the opportunity to have that beautiful, beautiful faith. Okay. Emily said this so well. Gosh, she was just on fire. The the empathy and empathizing goes in all directions. Even for those who don't want to have these bridge-building conversations. And David said, you know, I have to honor that. I have to honor that that is legitimate. And if we do not honor people who are not interested in listening to this podcast when you share it as having a legitimate reason, then we are doing the very thing that we don't want people to do, which is to say, you don't have a legitimate reason. You're just not doing it my way. You need to do it my way. And I can't empathize with you and uh, do it like this. So they're just amazing that recognizing that empathizing goes in all directions, even for those who are not interested in these conversations. Mm. Wonderful. 
thanks again for listening, everybody, and have a great rest of your life building bridges. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening. Building Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall, and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music was written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. If you like what you've heard, consider submitting a review or sharing it with others. To submit ideas, contact me at buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, Building Bridges Podcast. When you all start crashing down and your feet don't touch the ground and you just feel like you're alone I want to hear your story Do you have space for me? Because I have space for you Together we can make